0: no not littering loitering mr Charles said ripping open a box means you can't just stand around oh well you want me to help you with some of these boxes i asked hoping he'd say yes because the only other place i could go was the bus stop and that was too out in the open either that or the track but i was going to end up there later anyway and after yesterday i wasn't down for another double practice plus if the cops are out looking for a kid who stole track shoes They might show up where the kid might be using them, so it was best to not be out there in the middle of the day alone. Mr. Charles studies me for a moment, then thrusts the box of cat food in my arms. Here, help me unpack this. The process was simple. There should be a five of everything, everywhere, which was really just a weird way for Mr. Charles to keep the store looking neat and organised, and also an easy way for him to know if people were stealing from him. So, for instance, in their fridge... There should be five of every soda, five of every juice. On the cereal shelf, there needed to be five of every kind of cereal, even the nasty ones that taste like dirt until you put sugar on it. Same went for chips and cookies. So my job was to look around the store and let Mr. Charles know what was missing. We need two orange juices, I said, thumbing through the juices, like I was looking for a shirt in the coldest closet ever. Mr. Charles, as usual, didn't hear me. I looked over. He was reading another piece of paper. This time, it was the one that he pulled from a box. I think it was like a receipt or something to tell him what he was supposed to have in each carton. He never even looked up, didn't hear me at all. Dang. I wonder what it must be like to be hard of hearing. I bet gunshots sound like knocks on the door, which is a scary thought. Sheesh. Anyway, I repeated myself louder. Mr. Charles, this time he looked up, we need two orange juices. Mr. Charles nodded, pulled two from a box and handed them to me. Of course, while we were doing this, I kept an eye on my backpack. I'd set it down in the corner of the back store. Every time we'd restock some cookies or some dish washing liquid, I would double check to make sure it was still there, that my sweet silver babies were still safe. After the counting and restocking was done, Mr. Charles asked me to move all the leftovers into the stockroom. No problem, I said, struggling to get a grip on the sides of one of the bigger cardboard boxes. Is there any order you want me to put them in? Nope, Mr. Charles said, now wiping down the counter. Just stack it all up toward the back so I can get in there and move around. That's all. One by one, I picked up boxes of ramen noodles, six pots of beer, and cases of Worcester sauce. Worst testers shy, gotta be a world record for hardest word, and moved them into the stockroom. Mr. Charles seemed to have relaxed and was now standing behind the counter, staring at his old TV again. That made me feel kind of good, like I was doing something to help the old man out. I mean, he had always been so cool to me, such a good dude, so it felt nice to be able to do something for him. Plus, he was getting there in age. He even had that weird flappy turkey neck thing, so lifting these boxes was probably getting pretty hard for him. The sixth, or was it the seventh box, was the heaviest. It was filled with gallons of water, which was crazy because it just doesn't seem like water would be that heavy. I mean, it's air, it's clear, like air, and air don't weigh nothing. I couldn't even really lift the box. I just kind of held my arms straight and did the caveman walk to the stockroom, bumping into everything, including the stockroom door, hoping I'd make it there before my shoulders popped out the sockets. The door closed behind me. I dropped the box and used my feet to slide it across the room, over to the other boxes. Then I stopped for the first time, had a look around. I can't tell you that I remember anything about what the stockroom looked like when me and my mum hid in it, But I know we were there in the corner, a corner where there was now a coat rack. I remember that me and Ma huddled right there, up against the wall, her holding me by the face, her hands covering my ears. Now when I think about it, I think she did that so I wouldn't hear her crying or breathing hard, even though I could feel her chest rising and falling at the exact same pace of my own thumping heart. But I don't remember there being any boxes. I don't remember the desk and file drawers, the clock on the wall or the $5 bill hanging in a frame. It all might have been there, but I just don't remember seeing it. And looking at it then, gazing around the room, I didn't feel like nothing, like no emotions until I tried to open the door. It wouldn't budge. I tried again. The knob turned, but the door wouldn't come loose. I knocked lightly, trying not to panic. But of course, Mr. Charles couldn't hear me. He was probably deep into his cowboy flick, and he was on the other side of the store. And on top of all that, he was practically deaf. So I banged. Still nothing. Then I started tripping, like how when you're at the swimming pool on the hottest day of summer, you jump in and it's cool, and then you take one step too far. And suddenly you're in the deep end and things ain't so cool no more. Because you can't swim, that's how I felt. Like I was drowning, like I was filling up with water. Like this place, this weird little room that had saved my life, now felt like it was going to take it. I looked at that corner again, my mind boomeranging me back to me and my mum crouching and crying, wondering if my dad would corner us. My heart began to hammer, just like it did then. The clock on the wall suddenly seemed to tick louder. I turned back around and beat on the door again. I tried to beat a hole through it, balled my hand into a fist and pounded and pounded and pounded, yelling Mr. Charles' name until at last, after what seemed like forever, I could hear him on the other side of the door. "'Castle, I'm here!' his voice came through muffled. Mr. Charles yanked it a few times, each time letting out a weird grunt, until finally the door swung open. He stumbled back into the chip display before finally catching his balance. I shot out of the room. Stupid thing gets stuck, he tried, explaining, but I couldn't wait around to hear about it. One more minute and I would melt in the aisle between the chips and the sodas, so I grabbed my backpack and ran straight for the door. Chapter 6. World Record for the Longest Run After the Most Runaways in a Single Day. I ran non-stop to my next stop, which was the track. But not only because I was bugging about being trapped in a stockroom, that stockroom, and trust me, I was bugging, but also because that creepy clock reminded me that I was also late for practice. I ran through the streets until I finally made it to the park where everyone was already warming up. So nice of you to finally join us, Mr. Cranshaw, Coach said as I threw my bag down. I wanted to tell him that I'd basically been trapped in a teleportation thingy that zapped me back to the scariest moment of my life. But I didn't, because I knew no one would believe me. So I just sat down on the bench, kicked my half shoes off. Thankfully, everybody else was focused on stretching and not on my feet and rolled my pant legs up. Sorry, sorry, I said, unzipping my bag, but coach had already turned his attention back to the other runners. I looked to my left and right, then over my shoulder, then quickly scanned the other side of the track to make sure there were no extra guests dressed in undersized navy blue uniforms with badges and handcuffs checking out the practice. Once I knew the place was clear of cops, I pulled the silver shoes out and slipped them on my feet lacing them up tight. Then I threw the beat up sneakers in the bag and hit the track. So today is Thursday, Coach said, as I sat down to join in on the much, much needed stretching. After spending the day with fire in my legs, stretching made so much more sense now. It took maybe two seconds for Patty to notice my shoes. She smiled and slapped Sonny on the arm to get his attention. Then he saw them and gave me the thumbs up. So corny. I looked over at Lou. He was staring at them and fixed his mouth in the way people do when they're thinking. Not bad. And that was good enough for me. Coach continued. And Mikey, tell him a... Now coach caught a glimpse of the diamonds on my feet and got stuck. He looked both surprised and confused. It was the same expression he had when I told him to call me ghost. Um, he caught himself and continued. Mikey, tell the newbies what we do on Thursdays, Mikey said in his usual grunty way. Long run. That's right, long run, coach said. This is about conditioning, not speed, and everybody has to do it. Let me tell you, when he said long run, there were a few things I hadn't thought about. The first was I hadn't had lunch because of the whole running out of school thing and I was starving and wouldn't be able to eat until after practice. And the second was just how much I needed food to give me energy because what coach meant by long run was run a million miles. Especially since I'd just run about a million miles from the school to the store and the store to the track. Then a crazy thought hit me. Was he punishing me for stealing, even though he didn't even know? Or did he? Nah, he didn't. He couldn't. He didn't. This was just a coincidence. A bad, bad coincidence. Coach didn't tell us how far we would be running or anything. All he said was follow wit. Where are you going? I asked as Coach started walking toward his car. But he didn't say nothing back. That's when Aaron told me what was going on. He's getting in the chase-mobile, or as he calls it, the motivation-mobile. Aaron said, patting me on the shoulder. You'll see. He ran in place for a few seconds. I copied him and did a few high kicks. I felt like a gump doing it. But all that went out the window when Aaron said, Nice shoes, man. I was going to tell him that I ne called them the silver bullets, but decided that probably would have been too much. Plus, there was no time for talk. Coach was honking his horn, which I guess was the signal for the run to begin. Coach Witt took off and we all ran behind her, off the track and out onto the sidewalk, as if we were some kind of running mob of obstacle course contestants, dodging people in car doors, ducking under store awnings and jumping over random bicycles. The pace wasn't anything too crazy. A little more than a jog, but definitely nowhere close to a sprint. And honestly, I was surprised at how I kept up for at least 10 minutes before starting to drop back. Had to be the shoes. Sunny was up front with some of the other distance runners, like Lynn Britbrat, whose real name was Brittany, and JJ Patty was in the middle, keeping pace with Deja and Crystal's speed. She seemed to be doing okay too. In the back were the sprinters, which made sense. The new shoes would definitely help me out, but there was only so much they could do. At about 25 minutes, which was longer than I'd ever run, I eventually fell behind the other sprinters, putting me in my last place. And that's when I learned what the motivation mobile was. First, it was just a honk, one short toot. I turned around and there coach was in his cab, his emergency blinkers on, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. He was trailing us. Then came the long honk. Then the megaphone. Coach rolled his window down and started screaming at us. Well, really? Just me? through it. Pick it up, ghost. Pick it up, he screeched, his voice loud and crackly. I won't lie. Knowing that he was on my heels like that, watching every step I took, definitely put the pressure on. Made me feel like I was being chased. Which is always the easiest way to keep running. I knew that. A couple hours ago I'd been running from invisible cops. And there was that time I got chased by a dog hanging out the basketball court, hoping somebody would pick me to run. This older dude that everyone calls Sicko was there playing. He's one of those dudes with a crazy eye who never goes nowhere without his dog. He had the fat head mutt tied to the leg of one of the benches. And when I went to go pet it, stupid I know, it got to barking all crazy, jumping at me, snapping his mouth. I backed away, but it kept lunging until finally the leash popped. It just popped. That dog chased me around the court and off the court, and I didn't stop running till I got home. That night might have been the fastest I had ever run. Well, the second fastest. Anyway, I won't lie, I never caught up to everybody else even with Coach pretty much yelling at me through that stupid megaphone the whole time. He was leaning on the horn like a crazy person. Everybody on the street looking at me, some totally confused and some actually cheering me on. I didn't even come close to finishing with everybody else, but I didn't quit. I never stopped running. As everybody except for Sunny lay down on the track trying to catch their breath, Coach had this cocky grin on his face as he came from his car like he knew he'd worked us to death. "Coach Wit, who shined today?" he asked, jingling his keys. Coach Wood stood, stood with her hands on her head, her face and the parts between her braids glistening with sweat. "I got to give it to Sunny, coach. The kid stuck with me the whole time." Sunny lit up. He wasn't even tired. Like running 800 miles or however many we ran was no big deal to him. I, and I'm sure almost everybody else, felt like, I don't know, like we'd become slime.